Father, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to draw upon this, your word, your truth, given to us for our strengthening, for our comfort and our counsel. Father, as we look at the resurrection, Father, we who are called by your name, may we be overwhelmed. Father, may we drink deep. May we bow before you in a way that brings honor and glory and exaltation to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, may we be overwhelmed with the joy of our salvation, the privilege of our salvation. Father, may we be overwhelmed by the ability to be about your kingdom work even in this day and age. Father, as the season settles upon this country, Father, let us draw to the resurrection. Let us be overwhelmed at what you have accomplished on the cross of Calvary. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 35, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beast, another flesh of birds, another flesh, another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory for the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we were born in the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of of the heavenly. This is pretty serious stuff, people. <laughs> pretty serious. And what is amazing about this text is when Paul brings this together. Now you got to understand chronologically if you take the letters of the Bible, okay? 1 Corinthians is one of the first ones. Okay? So 1 Corinthians dealing with the resurrection here in chapter 15 is the first text that we have that deals with the resurrected bodies that we receive as children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, now listen, there's no other religion on the planet Earth that makes that claim. All right? None of them. 
None of them says you get resurrected. Okay, you basically are consumed or assumed or you go back to some kind of deity or nirvana or whatever you want to call it. And yet the Christian faith says, no, you receive an individual body. Okay, and that's what he's looking at. He's already given us proof. I mean, the first 11 verses of chapter 15 says, here's proof of the resurrection. But then the argument would come out this way. Well, Jesus was son of God, therefore he can be resurrected, physical body. We'll buy that. Then he showed, no, you will be in the impact that it is that you will be raised. And then he moves on. And then the question that you see here is posed comes in verse 35. And, and you can read verse 36 that... Paul is offended by the question. All right? This is uh, why I love my brother Paul. He's sarcastic. Seriously sarcastic. He says, people will say, well, how are the dead raised? You go stick a corpse in the ground. How is it going to get out of there? What, you got to bury everybody with a shovel? Okay? And then he makes this statement. What's the body going to look like? Everybody knows that when you put the body in the ground at death, it ain't too long. Guess what happens? As Martha said to Jesus, it stinketh. It's King James translation. Okay, I like that. It stinketh. It does, huh? Okay. All right, and that's what he, he lays out. He says, you know what? Here is the form of the resurrection. He says, you fool. He says, and then he uses it in the original language, he says, the hand that you sow grain with is proof of resurrection. And then he just keeps going. And he shows us, last week we looked at this, as, as, or two weeks ago we looked at it, the form of the resurrection. What does it look like? As God wants it to be, there is the flesh of Men, there's the flesh of fish, there's the flesh, and there's heavenly bodies, and there's, and you know what he does there, a, a little statement there, all flesh is not the same flesh. He obliterates evolution. Obliterates it. Why? Here's the thing you have to understand about evolution. Evolution says it moves down this pattern. The Bible says it's impossible. You know what? Science says evolution is impossible. Check out the second law of thermodynamics. Anytime you have power and you expend power, there is a decline in matter. Okay? I'm an electrician uh, in my other job, and one of my greatest things I have to deal with is that law of thermodynamics. Anytime I run current through a wire, I'm heating that wire up, and that wire begins to degenerate. All right? It will burn up. Guaranteed. Okay? And if you really want to do it, you put a lot of current in it real quick, and you can burn it up fast. And that's always a, whoa, did you see that? <laughs> but it usually happens at the speed of light, and it's kind of fun. Okay, as long as it's your burn up, and it's not, well, whatever. Uh, I've seen a guy do a screwdriver, one of the big long screwdrivers, and turned it into an awl at the speed of light. So I always thought, oh, that's cool. Make a note. Don't stick your screwdriver in a meter base. Anyway, um, or if you do, use someone else's screwdriver. <laughs> Can I borrow your screwdriver? Um, the other thing is, is amino acids. Okay, I shared with you my wonderful number, 600 octadecillion combinations of amino acids. You know what's amazing about that? No two are the same. 
Do you ever think about this? In creation, if it's living, there is no two the same. No two nothing. You can take a rose off the same plant and take both of the uh, blossoms on them and they will not be the same nor will they ever be replicated ever again. You think about that. I remember growing up that no two snowflakes are the same. Okay, you know what? No two leaves are the same. No two blades of grass are the same. No two robins are the same. No two lizards are the same. No two human beings are the same. Ever. Ever. And that's why he says God can do as he wishes. Why? That's the creative ability of God. Without the amino acids and the combination of amino acids, nothing is built. I don't care if you've got all the DNA strands in the universe. If there's no amino acid, nothing gets built. Okay? And the problem with the amino acids are is that if this amino acid comes in, then this amino acid comes out. It doesn't evolve. I can't. I don't care how bad a lizard wants to be a bird. He, the amino acid in the lizard will always make it a lizard, right? So that's the form of the resurrection as God wants. Then He brings out here what I call contrasts, and that's what we're looking at right now. Contrast. Okay, basically forty-two B through forty-four are the verses. All right. He says it is sown perishable it is raised imperishable all right some of your translations may say corrupt all right all right which is it imperishable or corrupt yes the word in the original language says yes okay when you put it into the ground it is corrupt do you understand at birth it is corrupt i we need to get a hold of this because it will come back out imperishable, incorrupt. All right? But when it goes in, it is corrupt. When you are born, you begin at that moment the process of decaying. All right? It begins at that instant and it is concluded at your death. And then at your death, what happens is you just corrupt really quick. You just rot really fast. Okay? And, and you, can't, you can't argue that. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your belief system is. You cannot negate that truth. It is given unto man to die once. And yet, this contrast of the resurrection is, as this decaying, rotting, corruptible, perishable vessel goes into the ground, God will raise it up. No longer with the ability to decay. No longer with the ability to corrupt or to perish. Okay? I don't understand that. I don't understand that at all. Everything I see is corrupting. I don't care if it's a tree. I don't, I don't care what it is. It is all in the process, which brings me to the second contrast. There's three contrasts in the summary statement in verse 44. We're on the second contrast. What is the second contrast? This is amazing stuff here, people. Look what he says here. It is sown in dishonor, and it is raised in glory. It goes in the ground, it is sown. Literally, 
sown in, it is planted in dishonor. All that a man was potentially capable of being became dishonor. Okay, let me show you something. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. We've got to go all the way back to Genesis 1. All right? Speaking of the third day of creation, verse 31 in Genesis 1, God saw all that he had made. Okay, do you know what day we're on? We're on the sixth day. All right? You know what he made on the sixth day? Man. He's made everything up to that point. On the sixth day, he makes man. God saw all that he made, and behold... What does he say? No. It was very good. Every day up to that point, it was good. It was good. It was good. But on the sixth day, it became very good. Do you know why? Because he gave to mankind a glory that is beyond anything else of anything else that he's made. Let us create man in our image. I'm not going to create water buffalo in my image. Man at his creation had the ability to bring a glory enhancement to God that no other creature had the ability to do. And he was sown in this massive glory. Man had a greater capacity than any created thing to manifest God. Not only that, he tells Adam to do what in the garden? Tend it. What? Add to its glory, its beauty. Man alone was created in the image of God. Of whom? Do you know that the angelic hosts are not created in the image of God? Did you know that? They're not. So man could manifest God. The very glow of God would come through man. Do you understand that? Okay, now let me show you something. Go to 2 Corinthians Chapter 3. And you have to have this context. In chapter 3, Paul speaks of the ministry. What is the ministry? We, are the, we commend ourselves, verse 1. We, or do we need uh, as some letters of commendation from you? You are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Paul's saying the Corinthian church, this is the second letter. He says to the Corinthian church, you bear testimony of what God's doing through us, period. It is manifested in you, the letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone. Okay, now look what he just said. What are the tablets of stone? The Ten Commandments. Not on the tablets of stone, but on the tablets of the human heart. Now he's starting to contrast Old Testament, New Testament. See, the Old Testament said, here it comes. New Testament said, see? (laughs) 
All right. The Old Testament says, look what's coming. Charles Spurgeon made it this way. He says, the Old Testament is the most glorious mansion that you could ever believe. It has more beauty, more intricacies, more creativity, more majesty than any existence. And the New Testament turns the light on so you can see the detail. I like that. Detail, detail. We are not adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, verse 5 says, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, a.k.a. New Testament, okay? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, what? Kills, but the Spirit gives life. See, we have the Ten Commandments to show you that you are a sinner. That's what it is. All right? And he says, but now you have the Spirit. And the Spirit says, look, the law says you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You can't keep it. Okay, now that you've got that understood... Here's the spirit that brings regeneration, who brings new life, who brings you glory, mercy, and peace. And a few other odds and ends. It is the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones. Look what he says now in verse 7. Now watch this. But in the ministry of death, in letters engraved on stones, came with glory. All right. So when God gave the Ten Commandments, knowing that man would stand against them condemned, guess what? God still gets glory. Why? Here I am, here you are. Who gets glory? God does. It is His glory, it is His manifestation. Now watch what it says. So that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face was fading as it was. Okay, now you know what he's talking about, right? Every time Moses would wander into the presence of God, he would get the Shekinah, and when he would come out, what would happen? He'd be glowing in the dark. He would go, and what did it do to the people who seen him? Scared the bejesus out of them. It would have you and me. Why? He just went in and talked to God. He comes out. Uh-oh. And it's more than the Charlton Heston who got the white lines in your beard and your hair. Okay? This was literally being in the presence of God in such a way you began to reflect and radiate His glory. Just to be in His presence. You look intently at the face of Moses because his glory was fading as it was. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Now, look what he just said. Under the old covenant, under the law that condemned, even when a man was into the presence of God, under the condemnation of God's law, what did the man do? He glowed with the radiance and the glory of God. And he says, now, under this new, that is of the Spirit, then what should be seen? Ah, it's even better than that. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed... What had glory in this case 
has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. He's saying what Moses did on Mount Sinai in the presence of God, and then when he would come down, it would fade away, cannot compare to the glory given through the power of the Holy Spirit and the regeneration of the heart and the redeeming of fallen humanity. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. People want to know why. Well, Terry, you know, you sit and talk and you do this and all that. But when you get to preaching, man, you just get all fired up and it's almost like you're yelling and you're so passionate. And you know why? I have a confidence. I'm not here to hit you with the law. God does that. I'm here to say, do you understand the glory of God in the saint today that abounds and brings confidence? We have such a hope. We use great boldness. And not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. He hide himself from what God was doing on the external side of Moses. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is only removed by Christ. To see, to peek through. Think about it. The veil of the temple... Three layers, huge curtain. Okay? When he gave up his spirit, what happened to that veil? All three curtains. Ripped from top to bottom. You know why? You were not, a man was not allowed to look into the Holy of Holies, let alone enter. And by his death, now the Holy of Holies is open to all. The glory of God in the Holy of Holies, the mercy seat that is in there, is now accessible to all who would believe. All right, so he says, it is only open, removed in Christ. But to this day, verse 15, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. They still don't see it. Okay, now watch what he says here. Verse 17. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. Okay, now watch what he says in verse 18. But we all. Did you get that? It doesn't say we pastors. It doesn't say we Sunday school teachers. It doesn't say we the deacons. It doesn't say we the elders. It doesn't say, it says, but we all, what? With unveiled face. You know what that means? Christ has removed it. We with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, what? We behold in a mirror. Now I want you to think about it for a second. This is written about 57, 58 somewhere A.D. And to get a mirror, you didn't go down to Jeff's place and get a mirror. 
Okay, what you took was a piece of brass or copper and you buffed that thing as just as tight as you could and you buffed and you buffed and you buffed and depending on how much money you had to spend for your mirror, you, you could get a whole bunch of people to buff it for you, but you basically would shine this piece of bronze or this shine this piece of copper so that you could see your reflection in it. Okay, now let's be realistic. You could shine that thing with like a good wax and all the rest of it, and still you're not going to get detail. Not like in a mirror today, right? But you would look and you could see that it was male or female. You could see probably the color of the eyes, eyebrows, hairlines, and all the rest of it. You could see it, couldn't you? Look what he says. He says, you are beholding in a mirror what? What does it say? Wait a minute. When you look into the mirror, what do you see? Right. Of who? Ask yourself a question. What do you see? Okay, look what he says. Because I can look in the mirror, because I now have an unveiled face... What glory do I see? But then he says this, and you are being transformed into the same, what does it say? Image of what? God. From glory to glory, just as the Lord, the Spirit. I don't know about you guys, but that ought to just freak you right out of your boots, shoes, tennis shoes, flip-flops, whatever you want to name. Because you know what? 6,000 years ago, a man ate of a fruit and dishonored God, brought shame to humanity. That man at his best is rotting, decaying, or as Martha would say, stinketh. And Christ says, I'll buy it back. And I'm going to buy it back in such a way that when it looks into the mirror, what does it behold? Man's sin, he dishonored God, he scarred the image, he marred that image, he ruined that relationship. The whole of man's life is to dishonor the image of God. Tell me I'm lying. Tell me one thing that humanity does that brings honor and glory to God without Christ unveiling their heart. It's impossible. 9-11, I'm kind of teaching that on our Sunday school class. 9-11, the great action words that you heard across this country, which shocked me, was, why did God allow this to happen? And you go, what? God doesn't use an airplane. You don't want him involved in anything. You build the edifice, and you want to know why God knocked it down? Why did you get the privilege to build it? But you know what? Someday that will all be restored. If you look at uh, 
Psalm 19. I want you to think about this phrase. Verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. You ever thought about that? The law of the Lord is perfect, and it restores the soul. It literally in the Hebrew says, it will perfect the soul. Okay, you know what's amazing about that? In verses 1 through 6, he's speaking about, now this is David. You know, I'm thinking he's not the world's best astronomer, but he's got it figured out. He says, you know what? All of creation, all of the universe's solar system, constellations and everything are moving from point A and they're moving across this great expanse. All of them, they're not running into each other. It doesn't look like rush hour traffic, but all of creation is moving from point A and it's going across this great expanse and it's headed for point B. Now you think about that for a second. All of the billions and billions of galaxies are all in harmony moving from here to over here and he says it doesn't even compare to the word of the Lord. You grab a hold of that. I like space. I like to have as much space as I can get. No. Um, I like space. I, I look at the stars and think, whoa. And yet the whole, and you know what's amazing? NASA figured this out. In 1975, David already knew it. And he's just a king, shepherd. He says, it's all moving across here. And yet, as it all moves across, it doesn't even compare to the word of the Lord. Why? Well, the Lord, word of the Lord, all it does is restore the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. <laughs> I mean, other than that, it doesn't do a lot. It does more than the moving of all of creation. It does more than the moving of all of existence across the expanse. It manifests God. It manifests its power. It manifests his ability. manifests his glory. How great is this? Well, you know, people get cranky about me on this. I'm going to go with chapter 3. Verse 10 of the letter to the Ephesians, it says so that and he's speaking again that he is here with this ministry that, that has been hidden. I have this mystery that I get now the privilege of revealing and I got to, to, to reveal it to you. Part of it is, is that the Jew and the Gentile will be together in one entity, one supernatural body that will exist and manifest me, God. And he says... This manifold wisdom, and the word manifold there is multicolor. The multicolored wisdom of God. It literally, have you ever seen people who oil paint and they'll have that big old piece of uh, wood or something like that and they have the primary colors here and then they just take a little knife and they mix up whatever they want to do. And that's the term that manifold is. God just sort of a little here, a little bit here, and you know, and he's somewhere in that 600 octadecillion amino acids. But anyway, and he, he's, he is manifesting this wisdom this multicolored wisdom might now be made known through the through the what through the church okay all right it's going to be made through the church so that who will know who will grasp it where hmm 
That's an interesting concept, don't you think? The church is going to manifest the wisdom of God in a way that the angels have never understood or seen. Who else is in the heavenly places? It's an interesting concept, don't you think? And he's contrasting, now remember where we're at, in in 15 of 1 Corinthians, he's contrasting, you dishonor God. Your sin dishonors God. But look at what has been given unto you now. And then think about it, in the light of the text of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he's talking about your resurrected body will only do it in perfection. That's all. God manifest. Let me give you one more just to think about, just because I feel like it. <laughs> First Peter, chapter uh, one, verses ten through twelve, says this: As to this salvation, First Peter chapter one, verses ten, eleven, and twelve. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. The prophets of the Old Testament were scratching their heads and getting after this thing to understand this grace. Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. Meaning that this intuition, this inquisitiveness that they were seeking out was being led by the Spirit of the Christ indicating he had predicted the sufferings of the Christ and the glories to follow. Ha, cool! It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. You know who you is, right, in this text? That'd be you, usins. And these things which have now been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Then look what this last phrase says. Things unto which angels long, and it literally means they long to grasp. Okay, now listen. He's talking about the holy angels. The holy angels are in whose presence? God's. And yet, for God to redeem and share His glory, infuse His glory into the fallenness of an earthen vessel, the angels say, God will get it. How much power is here? How much glory is here? How awesome is this? Now, the angels were there when He was God flinging stars into the heaven. He was there when he was making constellations, when he was making universes, when he was making solar systems, when he was throwing out a sun here, a sun there, a moon here, a moon there. The angels were there. When he created water, the angels were there. When he created terra firma, the angels were there. And now they're looking and saying, but that doesn't compare to the glory that God redeemed sinful man. And then he infuses them with his glory. What an awesome God. 
God manifest, God glorified in this life. And yet we, out of all of his creation, is the single creature that did what? Dishonored God. Our capacities are limited today. I mean, science says that we use one-tenth of one percent of our brains. I'm thinking that's optimistic. I've seen people. (laughs) You didn't get the one-tenth memo. Well, you tell me I'm wrong. All right. We dishonor God by our inability to capitalize on what he's already given us in creation. I mean, and it just goes downhill from there. We dishonor God because we are frail. We dishonor God because we are corruptible, we are perishable. We dishonor God because we refuse to listen to God. We dishonor God because we would rather worship anything but Him. And you know what? We do. We worship just about everything. I mean, we worship some really weird stuff. Don't we? I mean, there was a bunch of kids in Berkeley living in a tree. Because they're going to cut it down and build a gymnasium or something. I'll cut it down anyway. This is going to hurt you more than it is me. (laughs) We dishonor God by our inabilities, our weakness, our frailties, our stinkethness. Listen, we, we dishonor God for however many years we give us and we end up in the grave and what do we do? Decay. We go back to dirt. Reminds me of that joke. Did I tell you that joke? Science decided that, you know what, we know the DNA and amino acids and all the rest of that. We don't need God to create no more. And so they send a scientist up and say, God, we don't need you no more. We have the ability. We can create it. We can clone it. We can grow it in a test tube. We can do whatever we want. God says, is that right? He says, yeah, watch. He grabbed up a piece of dirt and God said, uh-uh, dirt's mine. Okay. See, man in his arrogance and his pride thinks what? Listen, let's be realistic. On our best days, we're ugly and gross. You know what? You think about it, and I just wrote this down. I was thinking about funerals, and you know where they do the the viewings and things like that. You know what? You can paint us up like we're going to a party, and yet we are still horizontal and dead. Right? I mean, and, and if I'm hurting your feelings on that, let's be realistic. Whoever you stick in that box, you stick them in the ground, they end up the same. I don't care if they were a king, a ruler. I don't care if they were the most beautiful person that ever walked the planet Earth. Guess what? Although I did see Lennon's tomb, and he's still in there, and uh, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing with that boy, but uh, if I was Lennon, I'd be upset about it. But <laughs> would you let me rot? Um, listen, we are dead and dying. That's it. We look dead. We stinketh. You know, God gave makeup. You know, my wife was watching this thing on the news and they had some of these politicians talking. She said, you know, some of the politicians, they ought to put makeup on them because they look awful. And I just look at it and I said, well, listen to them. If you sound like that, you need to look awful. 
You know, and uh, let's be realistic. There's times I'm very thankful for makeup. Not that I use it, but there are some that I am grateful that do. I probably shouldn't say that, should I? Okay, let's move on quickly. Why? Because we're dying. We're rotting. We're decaying. We, and it is all because of our dishonor to God. But someday, we're coming out of the grave, aren't we? And you know what we will be when we come out of the grave? The glory of God. We'll be a full manifestation as the sons of God. The way he meant us to be. There will be no more dishonor. There'll be no more corruption. And next week we'll look at there'll be no more weakness, but there'll be only power. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and the amazing things that you do. Lord, um, please help us. Help us to bow before what you do. Father, when we understand that we are perishable, that we are disgraceful, Father, when we are just weak and frail, Lord, give us strength to walk with you. That, Father, that in our lives that we have here, though in these earthen vessels, these clay pots, your glory would be manifest to all that you bring into our lives. Father, overwhelm us with what salvation is. Overwhelm us with what your glory is. Overwhelm us with the privilege of being in your church, to being a part of the kingdom of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the kingdom of heaven forever and ever eternal. Thank you for your word. We praise you. Thank you. In Christ's name. Amen.